Welcome to episode 7 of the Future Farm podcast. Today with me in the studio, or shall we call it a sweltering hot office at the end of August 22, I have Chris Fellows. Chris is here today to discuss the state of competition and agricultural inputs. Because food does not grow by itself. If you're a farmer, you know this. If you're not, it may not be so obvious. Because to run a farm, whether it's arable, horticultural or livestock, farmers need to buy lots of things, principally fuel, crop protection, also called chemicals, fertilizer, seed and animal feed, plus a few other things. And just like anything else, these inputs are getting dramatically more expensive. So making sure that the market is working efficiently is critically important. Do farmers have effective choice when it comes to selecting the supplies they need to grow our food? Is the pricing of these products transparent? Is it unbundled from other services? And is the pricing upfront? Are the billing and credit terms reasonable? Important questions indeed. Chris Fellows lives at the coalface of inputs retailing across essentially all of these categories. And not only this, Chris Fellows also co-owns the Farming Forum, also called TFF, which is the place to go if you want to know what farmers are saying and experiencing. So we know he has his ear to the ground. And let's get started. Chris, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself before we get into it? Mine was probably in an unusual way into agriculture. I started back actually working in software after qualifying in meteorology. Um, so apart from being qualified to be on the telly to do your weather forecasts, um, I then decided that I didn't want to be on the telly or do podcasts or do TV. <laughs> but, but, you know, here I am. Uh, that software actually worked in the food industry, though. So I did a lot of my early work working with software companies on creating efficiency in the actual downward supply chain to what to where I am now, working for like bakeries, Kerrygold, uh, Marks and Spencers, um, right the way through retail to food production. So it was certainly very interesting for me. After about 15 years though, I actually decided that um, farming had to be the way to go inspired by friends like Clive Bailey and seeing how he lived his life I thought this farming is brilliant we've got we've definitely got to do some farming um, and I bought a farm down in Cornwall um, I'll be honest it wasn't all about food production for me um, Cornish farms as most people who farm in Cornwall will know are a lot about tourism um, we diversified heavily but we did produce pigs uh, chicken um, and we grew all our own grass and straw. All that food was processed though, um, processed it ourselves, um, take it right through from production through, and we sold everything on the farm. We made good money out of a pig. In fact, I was horrified when I found out what a pig actually sold for at market. Mm -hmm. um, so I was actually very naive about the whole buying process because I was selling for such high values, I didn't really care about um, costs as much. And probably as a small farmer, I wasn't, as long as I was making money, I was, I was happy. So you went from weather forecasting to farming, which is probably, you're right, an unusual route. But nevertheless, it does make sense, given that weather uh, is one of the big, big factors uh, in deciding uh, how your farm's going. Okay, so uh, thank you for that. Um, why don't we um, jump right into it, uh, the topic of agricultural inputs. I think to set the scene, a lot of our listeners are not farmers. It might make sense to just simply explain in a little bit of detail, what does a farmer need to run their farm? What kind of farmers are there out there and what do they need to produce food for us? 
It really depends on, on the type and scale of farmer. So if we looked at a, an average uh, livestock farmer, which um, okay, I wasn't average, I was probably pretty bad at it, but you need um, feed, uh, you need vet meds, you need fuel, and then you will need some degree of crop protection products. In fairness, I didn't need a lot of crop protection products because I was organic, so that made life pretty simple for me. And then we're into the feed section, but that's fairly normal for a livestock farm. If we're starting to talk about bigger arable farms, just things change. Obviously, no vet meds on most of those farms, but significantly more fuel and crop protection products than also your, your basics to grow anything. Yeah, fertilizer. And fertilizer. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, it depends on what you farm, uh, but there's uh, some common denominator products, fuel being the one, um, and crop protection, which is tech speak for the chemicals, really, the glyphosates of this world, is what you need to grow the food we eat. Um, and what's sort of, if there is an average, what would you say is the average spend uh, in the UK for a farmer uh, to, on, you know, across livestock and, and arable? What do you, does it take to, to, in terms of money uh, for you to, to run your farm? Well, that, that's a world of difference, if I'm honest. Um, from the like of Dyson Farms, which will be spending probably millions, um, down to a smaller farm, it probably worth us um, looking at some averages. But it certainly could be anything around £100 a hectare. Mm -hmm. And your average holding size in this country is... 100, 200 hectares, you would say, round about there? I think technically it's quite a bit smaller uh -huh. in, from the DEFRA figures, but they include a lot of small holders with only, say, 15 to 20 acres okay. who aren't farming at any scale. Okay, but it's in the tens of thousands. It doesn't really matter what kind of farmer you are. So no matter who you are and where you farm and what you farm, um, you're going to have to reach into your pocket in order to grow food. Yeah, I mean, farming fundamentally, farmers as a whole, is going to spend about 900 million this mm -hmm. year on crop protection products. Right, just on crop protection. Yes. Okay. Um, now, when, these, when it comes to uh, where they go, traditionally, where do farmers go to buy these products? Uh, where, where are the, what are the typical sources? And again, happy to generalize, this is not an academic exercise. So for any farmer at scale, um, there are five big sources. Um, they are called uh, collectively the distributors within farming. Uh, you might say there are six, um, including including Xantra as well, who came onto the market later than some of the others. Um, but certainly the mainstays are Agri, Hutchinson, Agrivista, Procam. And they will sell you everything you need to run your farm or do they specialise in things like crop protection? I'd imagine it's mainly around, these guys are mainly around crop protection. In terms of crop protection, yeah, yeah. They, they can sell you pretty much everything. They'll yeah. all have slight variances. They will use certain brands rather than other brands. But fundamentally, they can get you every single product you need. They work with all the big producers, which mm -hmm. are the companies we will all know from even people who listen to right. gazettes. So farmers don't go direct to Bio or BISF to buy their stuff. They go through a distributor when it comes to products like crop protection. Is it the same in fert with fertilizer or do, 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 they, do farmers go directly to the MAC manufacturer or are there, is there a similar scene of, of distributors there in that area? It is similar. Um, okay. the, the, the difference probably is more to do with how the product is moved around. Um, with 
crop protection, a lot more is held in warehouses, whereas with fertiliser, a lot more is delivered directly. So mm-hmm. everyone is more a broker in that situation. So the other two categories worth mentioning, I suppose, is or three really, is seeds. Uh, for seeds, again, you go through a distributor. Is it more or less the same, or do you go directly to your Syngentas? Uh, no, you would you would typically wouldn't go to a KWS or a Lima Grain or a mm-hmm. Syngenta to buy you to buy your seed. It so, would always be through right. a, a third party. So you okay? So we've established really that in this value chain, there are distributors who sit between the farmer and the manufacturer of the product. Uh, perhaps the one exception might be fuel, where it seems like there is um, quite a bit of going direct to the fuel supplier that you know. Uh, you're nodding, so I guess you agree. I do. Um, and perhaps machinery uh, could be another one that where you, you, you know who sold you that tractor, so you've got to go to them to get your spare parts. You are, but even the machinery market has evolved over the last 10 years, just like it has for anyone who's bought a car. Yeah. Um, you know, the days are, are going where you just go to your local dealer to get, to get a price. That's true for car buying, and it's becoming the same for machinery. So it, it has evolved. Um, what I would say is crop protection hasn't evolved massively unless you're a small scale farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very, very different compared to your scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and if a farmer wants to buy one can of glyphosate, you, there's a million places you can go and get them. You can get it from eBay, uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get it from a multitude of websites. Um, but if you want 20 cans of glyphosate, the world definitely does change. change. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, there is, I guess, one more player in this value chain worth, note- worth noting, which is the agricultural buying groups. Um, we'll probably speak about them a little bit later. Uh, ultimately, they are co-ops um, and they uh, mediate or negotiate on behalf of the farmer and tend to be farmer-owned. But I think we'll, we'll start and kind of speak about their role in, in a little while. Okay, so we've kind of painted the scene. Farmers tend to go through middlemen to buy uh, the products they need to run their farms. Uh, We've established that they spend, well, depending on how big they are, but they they all spend quite a lot uh, in order to to grow the food that we eat. Um, So these are substantial amounts we're talking about. Now, with your sort of TFF hat on, uh, I know you know exactly what's going on on your forum and sort of what the trends are. When it comes to input buying, what are farmers, if you could generalize, what are farmers actually saying about the state of competition on, uh, on your forum? I think to a degree, farmers are actually relatively happy uh-huh. with, with the situation. I, won't, I probably shouldn't go as far as saying blissful ignorance, but there is truth in it. A lot of farmers are buying very well and can buy very simply. And in any walk of life, buying well involves your time. And you have to offset the amount of time you'll spend buying versus the efficiency of buying through mm-hmm. through one route. I don't think any of us in any walk of life would would argue with the fact that if we only buy from one source, whether that's Tesco's or your local co-op, you'll know you're not always getting the best price. But do you really want to go to Tesco's for some products, then to Morrison's for others, then to Asda, uh, then to your then your butcher, and then your baker, and then your grocer? Um, you may know the best way to do it and the best way to get prices, but you may be happy with your way of buying. So uh, is there any, but you know, I, I have to dig here. Um, 
I think, is there any sort of reference to anti-competitive practices? Or you say they're happy, but perhaps blissfully happy. Um, is there something they should be saying on your on your forum that um, that you know is worth putting into this podcast? One of the things we've looked at and seen there is there's certain cases, and there've been a number of them documented on the forum where there's there's been overcharging, basically. Um, whether that's an institutional practice or just mistakes or just happens on local farms or happens because it can, mm-hmm. um, it certainly has, and. That's the same in any walk of life. There are a million different products to buy and there's a million different prices that can be at. Um, what's become clear with the internet though is people just talk more about prices. Mm-hmm. So prices have become more transparent. Farmers record their prices on the forum of what they're buying for certain products all the time. They may not say where they get them from or exactly how many they bought, which is pretty critical information if you want to know to give a price relevance, but they do talk about it. So it means that if you are a farmer who is online talking to a lot of other farmers, whether that's on Twitter, Facebook, the farming forum, you will get a feel for where prices naturally sit. Um, of course, this has become a lot more difficult this year. Um, crop protection prices have been very static for years. And the likes of glyphosate have actually fallen. In the last year and a half, we've seen this sudden spike. Um, ag inflation is now a very real thing. Um, and although prices haven't gone up like they have for fuel, they have certainly gone up and crop protection would have been say a 750 pound million pound market a few years ago it's now probably going to be 900 this year only thing that obviously adjusts that is it's just seasonal use mm-hmm. um, in dry years you you just need less fungicides um, typically speaking so you don't always spend the same amount every year so farmers are becoming more self-aware in this market but it's up to an individual farmer to do that you've got to to understand there are um, there are six big players in the market and multitude smaller players. So you, if you want the best prices, you've got to shop around. And that is, uh, again, the same in any walk of life. Yeah. Okay. So we've come to a point in the discussion here where, you know, we've, let's take a step away from the farmer. Um, so we, we, we've established that the farmer is, you know, smart farmers shop around, although it was always a sort of a a question of you know how much shopping around is beneficial for you in terms of the time invested in it uh, and they use your forum to kind of help each other in a way to kind of say yeah, over here you can perhaps get it a little bit cheaper could you make an argument how you now you and i i guess we have to come clean here uh, we work together on farm deals uh, we've been um running together um, this, this, this online uh, price uh, input buying, uh, buying group uh, for 18 months, I believe now. Um, and is it, is it worth looking at, you know, take the farmer on one side and, and look at, you know, our side of the equation, which is us trying to, as a business or any buying group really as a business, trying to source product. Um, what is, you know, if you know, I know this is a bit of a thorny topic, but it's got to be said, what is our view, really, or your view, uh, and I'll second you, uh, what is our view on um, competition in the marketplace? And let's let's start with, let's look at this category by category. So let's start with fuel. Uh, you know, we, we, we launched with fuel straight away. That was our first product. Um, what's your take uh, on you know, how competition and how it works in the agricultural fuel market? Agriculture is definitely very um, traditional. There's a small number of players, but fuel was a good place for us to start 
because fundamentally there's a lot more players in the market. It's regionally based. Prices are very dynamic already. Um, they're very much based on where you live, obviously. Fuel is a very expensive product to move around. And therefore it was less contentious. It was, it was our ideal place. Plus every farmer needs fuel, whether it's 100 litres a year or 100,000 litres a year. So it was a perfect place for us to build our membership and offer someone a system that's just easy, where you don't have to ring three people a day to get a price. You just open your phone and it gives you your prices on that day. Yeah, I, I totally second that. The where I would draw a slight caveat is um, after the outbreak of the war uh, and all the volatility that came with it, um, the concern that I registered certainly uh, was how um, suppliers, and I'm not strictly speaking about our panel, I'm talking about behavior across the board, um, essentially withdrew from the market and uh, would, uh, you know, as a farmer, if you're dependent on fuel, um, essentially not having access to a source like farm deals to get a quote meant you'd have to ring in uh, and the process from there would be suboptimal in terms of transparency from what I've heard uh, being that suppliers would quote you or would not quote you a price uh, but you know, take your order and quote you the price on the day of delivery which clearly in my mind posed problems uh, because obviously if that price wasn't right for you you know, with delivery day at times being uh, at that time being up to two weeks, you would have been uh, almost forced to take the offer no matter what it is. So, but in general, I think you are right. Um, this, these are extreme times. I, I do see our farmers um, enjoy uh, uh, using particularly the mobile app to get daily prices and buy when the fuel price is right for them. Uh, and that's certainly functionality that will be only building more and more off with uh, price alerts and predictions, etc., cetera, uh, coming later this year. So that's fuel. Now let's look perhaps at the opposite spectrum. Uh, let's look at crop protection. Um, what was our experience here, uh, which I suppose is reflected amongst any startup in this space. Um, they would be going through more or less the same thing. Trying to build a service that transparently shows you the product, the price, and the time when you can have it uh, at wholesale prices. So, um, what did you know, what what would we say was our lesson here? Crop protection is definitely more difficult to move into. Um, fundamentally, if we didn't have an app, we would have supply of all products via one of the distributors. I don't think there's any other buying groups in the in the country that can't get the products they want. Um, the fact that we can't is because of the way we distribute our prices, which I personally find a little bit amusing, um, if I'm honest, because everyone has a price. It doesn't matter what buying group you belong to. You just probably have to ring up to get it, which just seems like a very inefficient way to work for me, that every day a farmer has to ring up and, and find out his price on glyphosate or graze on pro or, or any other product. Um, the concept of them being able to just open a website and open their phone and find out their specific price. And I don't mean everybody's price. I mean, that's a price that is valid for them and the farms they own. Um, just seems sensible. We, we don't tell them other people prices. We don't tell them the prices in East Anglia, the prices if they buy for bigger farmers who are getting better prices. That, those prices are specifically built for them with tiering in mind. That just seems really simple and easy. It also makes sure that every product we sell 
And every time we sell a product, it, it is a profitable product for the, the company supplying that product. Um, it means that there's, there's always the right amount built in to deliver to the right person in the right volume. Um, it's a very honest price. So given we're doing exactly what all the other buying groups are, you'd think it would be very easy for us to get supply, especially being the fourth or fifth biggest in the UK now. But actually the opposite is true. It's still, there's a, still a very reluctance um, just because of the way we distribute information. And that's probably the oddest thing. But obviously with such a small field to work in, it means that you, you are beholden to people and then scale becomes important. And it probably is a thing about understanding. It's a time will take. And you see things changing all the time. And certainly in the amenity market, they've changed significantly where you're supplying products to say uh, smallholders or golf courses or football pitches. There, there are a multitude of websites um, out there. Um, one of which in fact is, is owned and run by AgriVista. So they are, they're happy with website systems in certain markets, but they still resist that, that system in, in ours. And even then, you know, if you had an AgriVista website, would it be the only place you went and bought from? Uh, people do tend to go towards marketplaces for these because you've got multiple systems. And I think the same would be true if BASF actually said, we're gonna sell direct. You know, you'd have to then go to BASF because BASF aren't going to list Syngenta's products. So naturally, you see a marketplace as the right evolution of this market, however it works. But whether timing dictates when that becomes a case is, is, is the key question here. How long will it take to happen? Yeah, and I think I'd like to add here that um, my background's in price comparison. So I've always... I've built many price comparison engines and always approached this from an angle of, you know, how do we break this commodity down into something that is easily presentable for the user to, to select and buy. And I came into agriculture more or less with that same mindset. And what surprises me is that even though, you know, in, you know farmers grow and sell commodities and it takes commodities to do that, um, these are everything that a farmer buys is essentially a staple commodity. Uh, but they are sold as if they were specialized products. Uh, and that, I find, is curious. Um, and I think what you've hinted at is what the way we are feeling that is by reluctance of um, certain uh, distributors to engage with us, which we think we will overcome uh, with, with scale uh, and innovation. Because uh, ultimately, I think, you know, it is you know, uh, having worked in price comparison where, uh, you know, and having heard many times how, you know, this can't be done, not in our space, and then just watching it happen, uh, you know, this, it is, would be, um, I think it's the wrong word, but I think it is uh, wrong to assume that the same will not happen in what is essentially a, a commodity space. Uh, there is nothing that I've seen in, in agriculture that can't and shouldn't be broken down into its constituent part, presented online and sold. That brings me on to the next point, because some of the distributors will say, aha, Mr. Ritzman, you're wrong here. And that's because we offer advice. And I think that is probably one of the things that is also holding the market back, at least in my view. So perhaps could you explain uh, to our listeners, what the um, the problem, not the problem, or what the complex is between the selling of products that you need to apply to your crop and the dispensation of advice, uh, agronomic advice. So we we have referred to them as distribution so far, 
and I think they refer to themselves as distribution as well, but in reality, these are advice companies. Um, we're talking about crop protection products. I tend not to ever use the word um, pesticide or chemical personally, <laughs> um, but fundamentally, that is what they are. And you need a level of knowledge to be able to decide what to apply and when. Um, some farmers themselves are basis qualified, so they can do their own agronomy, which is what it's called. Um, however, many people use either an independent or a, an agronomist from one, from one of the big five distributors. They are fundamentally advice companies more than anything else. In terms of distribution, you wouldn't put them in, in the same bracket as um, DPD or Hermes. Um, they are fundamentally about giving farmers the right advice to grow the right products uh, as well as possible. And this is probably where it becomes very difficult because it's easy to grow a good crop and it's pretty easy to grow a bad crop. Sometimes that's all about the weather but also you do need good advice. So they are critical in this, um, in this whole part of, of growing food. And most farmers will need one. And even if they don't need one themselves, they'll need a sounding board. So this ability to know what to put on, and most importantly, when to put it on, is absolutely critical to growing food. Okay, so I'm, I've got a dog at home. Um, and when that dog gets sick, we take the dog to the vet. And the vet charges X. Um, and then they'll charge us again for um, giving us uh, the medicine that the dog needs. But we could also just take the prescription and buy that same product, probably for half the price somewhere else. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, you can. It, it depends on how you do your agronomy. Well, my point is that the, the vet is essentially taking a margin on the medicine and perhaps giving you a subsidized price uh, on, on the service or the other way around that you pay extra for the service and they give you a subsidized price on the, but they're blending the margin of both. Uh, and that is what potentially is holding the lack of separation between advice uh, and product is what's perhaps holding us back a little bit and making distributors reluctant to engage with us. Is that fairer, a fairer summary? It, it is, although it goes further than that. In your example, you can take your animal to the vet. In fact, they'll come to your house and, and look at your and look at your dog. Oh, nice. And they will tell you if anything's wrong with it for free. And if there is something wrong, they'll sell you they'll sell you something to fix that. But their services will be bundled in with the price of the product they sell you. So that's when it becomes almost impossible to actually differentiate between what is a good price or what isn't. As mm -hmm. a farmer, you, you just wouldn't know. It's very convenient for you because all you're doing is, is getting a bill for the products you're buying. But the products you're buying also include a service that's being provided. Um, and it, it's called serviced agronomy as a, a, as a product. Agronomy. It's, it's easy, it's simple. But in terms of knowing exactly what you're paying for what, it can be very muddy. Now, there are, there are also amazing advantages to serviced agronomy. You come first in everything. So in the recent years where we struggled with glyphosate, just to collect glyphosate, um, if you were a serviced agronomy customer, you were getting first pickings because you, you pay for their services all bundled in. And I can see that that's, with that sort of model, it becomes very difficult then when you, have, when you have websites putting prices of products on for what we call supply customers because you can't compare the two. Well, you could compare the two if you if you were 
if you're putting your your calculator to use at one side we know roughly that agronomy costs between 50 and 20 pound a hectare so if you know you farm x amount of hectares per year and you know you spend exactly on on what you spend on crop protection any year you could you can work it out and back it and back it out but to know at any point in time whether that price is good for you or bad for you it is really quite difficult it becomes then a yearly exercise mm-hmm. what is good for you right which is kind of like when you're trying to run a farm and grow a crop and you're kind of fixated on the price of what you're going to get for the product you grow it, that can be very very tricky you're asking a farmer to do more than just farming yeah yeah and it's a, and it's a trigger for for a lot of farmers they 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 may well be treated very very fairly and be getting very very good prices when you factor in the price they'd have to pay for agronomy separately yeah. but suddenly they go online and see a price and then they ring up their agronomist and say why am i paying 15 pound a can more right now right and the reality is because you're receiving a service but how much are you going to use that service in any year? There's so many assumptions in this model you've got to calculate. You can only look at it on a yearly basis. You can't look at it at any spot price. Yeah. But there are spot prices everywhere, whether it's on our site, whether they're listed in Farm Compare, whether they're listed farmers mm-hmm. saying, or whether a farmer's down the pub or at the market, they're all talking about prices. Just online, they're a lot more real. Okay, um, so we've covered protection we've talked about fuel and i think in between we've got things like seeds machinery fertilizer are they literally in between those two when it comes to, to, to this type of behavior I, I i haven't got the sense that we've struggled as much to establish ourselves in those categories but i'd like your view on that no i think prices are are much more openly discussed mm-hmm. in those and you don't have this complication of, of bundled in um Right. Of, of advice. Farmers really have a feel. Um, there are specialist agronomy companies that will, will say to you, our aim is to reduce your fertilizer usage and we will save you costs by by working by working through a whole schema of things and therefore you'll need less fertilizer. But as a product that is either liquid or solid, it, it does it does keep. Okay. So it's... you can you could carry it over and Again, it's all down to the weather. Whether you use fertilizer at any point of time is all down to when. It's all about applying the right product at the right. right time. Okay, so we haven't got that same issue, if you want to call it that, of bundling advice with the selling of product in those in those categories, or much less so. Definitely less so. Okay. Okay. Um, so. If we wanted to compare agriculture as an industry to other industries, I mean, again, my reference point is, you know, all the price comparison tools that I help build with around energy and credit cards and insurance products. But you have a, you know, as, as an ex-weatherman, you might have a, a completely different view on that. If you were to um, compare the level of competition in this space and the level of transparency and all the things that we consider as competition, how does it compare to, to, to other industries that you've worked in, in terms of you know, competitive ranking? And again, it's not scientific here, what we're saying. Um, uh, it's by far the worst industry I've ever worked <laughs> in for it. Um, there, there are just too few players in the market, really. Right. And the players that are in the market are, are very big. Um, and that is not to say, uh, you know, for any given product that prices are particularly unfair. It just means there is a level of control yeah. and 
it's quite simple when, when you're one of those big five, you don't want there to be a sixth. No one wanted Zantra to exist yeah. um, when they started. Um, Murray just did a very, very good job of, of being persistent and getting it off the ground and taking it to another level. And he became that, that next one, most, most definitely. Um, but it wouldn't have been easy for him to start. And I'm sure a lot of people told him back in the day it wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he had a list of those names of everyone who told him it wouldn't work and he's probably reminds them of it significantly now. Yeah. Um, so new players in this market aren't impossible, but what we know from history is it will take time. And, and also, it, it's what do you want to be in this market? Yeah. Do you want to be a buying group or a distributor? Um, the interesting thing is we came into it as a buying group because there are hundreds of buying groups we all felt it should be relatively simple as a buying group to become another buying group. Um, that wasn't the case. Uh, certainly hasn't, hasn't been yes, actually. It's been easy on certain products, difficult on others. Um, does that mean we need to become a distributor to become a buying group? Um, I don't think any of us want to be distributors. Well, certainly sh sure. What, what is for sure is that um, the internet is not just allowing but it's almost creating this blurring of lines and sort of reshuffling the deck uh, and yeah I mean it, it just does seem obvious that some of the business models that we've just talked about I, I understand why um, uh, the, the executives at those businesses could see the threat to that business model uh, and I mean again looking at my background in, in price comparison you know, from a regulatory point of view, this you know there are models to deal with this, uh, and um, you know the the best example I can think of is energy, where the um, generation of energy, the distribution of energy, and the retailing of energy was essentially separated from each other, uh, and if if the companies weren't broken up, they were uh, essentially forced to uh, build Chinese walls, so that um, they couldn't shift the margin uh, within the business. Um, and prevent uh, uh, suppliers from, from entering the market. So now every supplier essentially buys wholesale on the same market. And I think uh, that's you know, certainly, you know, if, hey, regulator, if you're listening, um, I think uh, when it comes to some of these markets, um, I think that's kind of like overdue, uh, a, a kind of a hard look. Uh, and the reason why I say that, and I'd like your view on that, um, kind of like almost like a conclusion here, uh, is who is actually ultimately paying the price of any uncompetitive behavior here? Uh, wh what is your view on that? If no one pays the price, then hey, it's fine. But clearly somebody must be paying the price. So who, who is that party or parties? Well, we live, in a, um, we live in a model that is called dynamic pricing, fundamentally, in agriculture, where farmers are fundamentally charged a different price based on who they are, um, and some legitimate reasons of where they are and how much they buy. But dynamic pricing as an economic model has one aim and one aim only. That is to extract more money out of a given market. It is not there for the benefit of the people buying the products. It is there for the benefit of the people selling. So we do need clearer pricing. Um, the French a couple of years ago actually did separate the two processes. You cannot supply advice and product which meant all the prices you then saw for products were the actual prices. They didn't have any services bundled into them. So it has been done in other U European countries. Um, and personally, I think it should happen in the UK just to make things 
simpler and clearer. And you've transparent. Got, you've got confused people and, conf- and confused for a number of reasons. And anything that can be to done to, to make that simpler just seems sensible to me. We're not saying um, we don't need agronomists. We'll still need exactly the same number of agronomists. We'll still need them to walk exactly the same amount of land. And we'll still need them to give exactly the same amount of advice. What we're just saying is that that advice should be paid for separately to the, the products that they advise you to buy. That's right. So to go back to my sick dog, you should essentially just be given the prescription and then go out and find the product. Um, preferably on farm deals, guys. I hope you're listening. <laughs> um, I mean, I would add that I think, you know, you know, I mentioned the cost of living crisis uh, at the outset. And I think ultimately... It is the consumer who pays for this, um, and, and I think that, that that is, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, any regulator looking at this um, needs to view it through that lens. Yes, uh, farmers are disadvantaged by not having transparency uh, and effective competition for certain products uh, in the input space. But ultimately, it all feeds through the price of the product on the shelf, uh, and that is clearly something that. We don't need more of right now, uh, sitting here, uh, looking, staring ahead at uh, what could be a really difficult winter to come uh, with price rises really across everything. Uh, so, uh, and again, I think I feel slightly vindicated because today in the news we have to, you know, we, we, I read that uh, the, the, the grain traders, uh, the four major international grain traders who between them control 70% uh, of the grain trade, of the international grain trade have announced uh, record profits uh, at a time when we're talking about hunger catastrophes, um, uh, which kind of like doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Uh, well, it makes sense, but it doesn't feel right. Um, okay, so I guess to conclude, my final question to you would be, what do you think should happen and what could farmers do to, to help themselves in this while we are building uh, farm deals and surely bring all the products um, that ultimately they will need onto our shelves. Well, that's that's where we get to it. This is fundamentally an issue for farmers to work on themselves. That the information is out there, so you know exactly what you're spending, what you should be spending, what other farmers are spending. Um, there are a multitude of tools for it. We have one on the farming court forum called Farm Compare, um, where you can submit your prices and get information back on what other anonymous prices are in your area and countrywide. So it becomes a farmer's responsibility to to look, whether that's on a daily, weekly, monthly or yearly basis, but to actually sit down for at least a few hours a year and go through everything they've bought and work out how competitive it is. Um, And if you do that, you just have better control. And it's going to be important on everything you buy to just fundamentally look at whether it's insurance or car insurance or warranties or whether you should buy a new tractor, whether your finance agreements are up to date. You need to look at everything. But the information is there for crop protection. Um, You can do this. So if you take time, just having the Farm Deals app means you can look at any price in any time. You don't need to actually ask anyone. Correct. Yeah. Farm Deals is certainly a a very easy and unique tool to... um to get some transparency in this market. Um, and it's only going to get better from here uh, with filters now around the corner to be released next week. Very excited about that. Um, 
but yeah, I think um, farmers have shown throughout the ages, really, uh, British farmers know what to do. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, our numbers show it. I mean, we've got 2,000 users now, uh, members uh, on, on the platform, so we must be doing something right. Right. Um, I think I'd like to call it a wrap here because I think we've covered all of the major issues that we see without going into too much thorny detail. And I'd like to thank you very much, Chris, for joining us in the, again, this really sweltering office. And uh, well, I'm sure I'll have you back on uh, our little podcast show later, let's say in a year's time, and we can have another chat about what we've achieved in the meantime. That would be a, probably a good milestone. How far we've gotten, probably be live with AgroVista, Zantra, and all the likes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm dreaming. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. This was the Future Farm Podcast.